who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. My name is Jenny Owen-Youngs. And I'm Kristen Russo. And together we spent six years watching every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one at a time, podcasting about each and every one. Our podcast is spoiler-free, so first-time viewers can listen along safely. Ever thought to yourself, I wish someone was brave enough to write an original song for every single episode of Buffy? Your search is at an end, my friend, because we did exactly that. Our podcast is called Buffering the Vampire Slayer, and you can learn more about it at bufferingcast.com. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Good day, good people. My name is Brad King, and you are listening to and watching the Downtown Writer's Jam video podcast, which is part of the Solid Listen Podcast Network. We're coming to you from deep inside the jam bunker today on this really quite crappy day. I'm hopeful that this turns around. I will be in New York this weekend. We were in Philadelphia last weekend, hanging out with some writers from the program. Next weekend, we're going to see Laura Zlatos' play, and if you listen to the program, I had her on a few weeks ago. She's a playwright, taking like eight or nine writers to a experimental playhouse. It's going to be a lot of fun. So we're hoping that the sun comes out and some of this gray and rain goes away. Super excited today. Uh, back on the program, Jacqueline Friedland, whose book, he gets that from me. Her third novel is out right now. And if you listen to the program, she's been on before. Uh, her last book, That's Not a Thing, which I'm holding up right here for those of you that are listening. Uh, it was really hilarious and great. And I was super excited when uh, the, this one came out because I love chatting with her. She is one of those lawyers that we have on the show. Graduate of the University of Pennsylvania and NY Law School. Uh, she practiced as a commercial litigator. And in the last episode, we talked about her work out at uh, Boys Schiller and Flexner, who I came across when I was out at Wired. Wasn't a big fan of being a lawyer. Uh, she started teaching legal writing and lawyering skills and eventually decided that she wanted to be a writer. So she did what so many people do. She went back to graduate school, got a master's in fine arts from Sarah Lawrence College, which is the real deal, man. That's a that's a great program. Uh, she also is the person I, I don't know if we talked about it on air or off air, but we she loves to exercise. And I did not want to go lift after our interview last time. And she was like, you always feel better when you go work out thing that I knew, but also it's like other exercise. People will have that conversation. And, uh, that since then, anytime I don't want to work out her little voice is in my head, uh, which is both good and a little bit annoying. 
got four kids, uh, lives out in New York. She's fantastic. Going to hear a little bit about all that stuff. Uh, and they got two dogs, which we didn't talk about this time, but one of my favorite subjects. So this is good. I can't wait for you to hear her. Um, and I hope you will go out and get the book before we get to that interview, a couple bits of business. So the jam video podcast come out on Monday and Friday. You can always find those on the silent listen network, YouTube channel. You can also find them over at the writersjam.com. So in the jam, our hour long show comes out every Wednesday. Here's what I need you to do. If you listen to the program, head over to Apple podcasts. If you have an iPhone, if you don't have an iPhone, go to the writers jam on the Facebook page and leave us a review. That's the easiest way to help us spread the word about what we're doing. Also, think about people that like books in your life. I know you know some. Let them know what we're doing over here. We are trying to connect writers with new audiences, and we need your help to do that. Uh, if you're looking for books to read, we got book reviews. I'm like five or six or ten behind, so we'll be putting some of those up. You can also click on the bookshop link on our page, and you can buy from local and independent bookstores across the country. Got a monthly newsletter. We won't hassle you. Uh, just the little recommendations and things that are going to show up in your box. And you can support everybody on the ever-growing Solid Listen Network. Click on that Patreon button. And for, I think, a dollar or $5 a month, you get commercial-free episodes, bonus content from everybody. And Malls and Nicole are, like, building this thing out. Um, Chevy Stevens and I have a, a thing we're working on that we're going to debut in the first quarter of next year. Throw a little cash there and support what we're doing. Whether you do that or not, let me just say, I appreciate you taking the time to spend some time with us here in the bunker. I know the holiday season, no matter what and how you celebrate, is busy. December is batshit crazy all over the place. Uh, so thanks for spending some time here with us. I hope that your day is going well and you're finding ways to take care of yourself and the people around you. I hope this season brings you light and love and laughter, all of those things. And I hope right now that you'll sit back for the next 30 minutes or so and enjoy my conversation with Jacqueline Friedman. So it's funny you should ask that because the book that, this book, To Get Back From Me, was published in September. By the time the pandemic started, the book was mostly finished. Oh. So, you know, I was, there was like some editing, but it was not, it was not the same level of hard thought work that writing yeah. the initial draft was. So that went out to my publisher and, you know, then there was copy editing and things like that, but, you know, I covered design, but, but yeah. the book itself was largely, largely written, but I agreed when the world seemed to be falling apart, it was very hard to be creative and produce. And what I actually, I did actually uh, write another book. Yeah. Um, Cause you don't have a choice. Right. Like, I mean, they, they want you to keep writing. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But I actually returned to historical fiction, which was the genre I started yeah. in because yeah. I really felt like I could research and I, I had the mental wherewithal to be able to take in information, even though I wasn't yet at a place in the beginning where I could put out information. Yeah. So I, I researched this story of um, a real, based on a true story of abolitionists in the North and who fought to, uh, fought against the Fugitive Slave Act and uh, built a relationship with a particular runaway slave and how that all played out. And I got, when I tell you that I was like reading old newspaper articles and, you know, letters and book after book and these rare books that I was ordering online, you know, that are like falling yeah. apart and stuff. So I really jumped into the research for like a few months. And then when we kind of got into a routine, I was able to actually 
write. And, yeah. um, but the other hard thing about writing during the pandemic was that um, I had my husband sitting behind me and 99% of his job is talking on the phone. And for some reason, when you put him on the phone, he gets really loud. My <laughs> friend does that. The volume of a normal human. Yeah. So I, um, I experimented with all different sorts of uh, music in my ears. I find lyrics incredibly distracting. So I was like, I oh, will just do the classical thing. Yeah. Um, also distracting. I'm yes. to be distracted. So I ended up with bagpipes, Scottish classical music and bagpipes. And it worked. And, and now it's like this Pavlovian response. The minute I hear bagpipes, I'm like, oh, I just had an idea of what to write. You know? Oh my God. That's, yeah. that's hilarious. Yes. But yeah. also I can't, I used to write to music, not to lyrics, but to music. And I've reached a certain age where if that stuff is in my ear, I, my brain can't get into the world I need to get into. And like, as one of those demarcations, like, uh-oh. Yeah, it's too much stimulation. Yeah. That's the same, you know, I've never been a person who can write in a coffee shop or, you know, yeah. even li like I never studied in the library in college because yeah. I'm just, the minute there's outside stimulation, I'm like, oh, well, that's more interesting than the thing I was yeah. looking at. And who are those people? And what are they doing? And why are 100%, they doing Yeah. <laughs> So, so that must have been kind of comforting to have, um, he gets that for me mostly done in those early days, because at least for me, editing is less about thinking and more about understanding what's happening. Like, I don't have to create anything. The thing is already there. So now I'm just trying to sort of make meaning in here instead of out there, if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was definitely, I was very glad for that to know that that book was finished yeah. and that it had a publication date, especially because my book that came out, um, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic came out at the beginning, beginning of the pandemic. There it is. That's not a thing. Um, and uh, that was rough. It came out so early in the yeah. pandemic that people didn't know yet about doing like a Zoom book launch or, you know, and any of that. It was all, and, and nobody Nobody was focused on books. We were all afraid we were all about to die. And, you know, myself included, nor yeah. did I feel comfortable really, you know, going out and promoting even just online because yeah. I didn't, it wasn't important compared to life and death scenarios. So, yeah. Um, now, I mean, I can't tell you how many authors I interviewed that would, you know, I mean, I, and we may have even talked about it, would be like, you know, it's both the greatest thing I've ever done. And also, I feel bad talking about it because you know, now we know 6 million people not like all that stuff. You're like, like as just a feeling human being, right? Exactly. Even though we have to keep going on, like that's sort of the most human thing that we do. It's, I mean, that, I think that was not traumatic in the same way that the disease was, but like, as an artist, it's, I think, I think that's why it was so hard for me to write. Cause it's like, nothing matters. Right. Exactly. Like, none of, like, even though all of it still matters a great deal. What's that? <laughs> Just go hug the people who are important to you, except but don't because yeah. You know. And like stay inside and just like you just sort of sat on the couch waiting. Like, yes. I mean, uh, this will be over, right? Like, right. Yeah, that was it. It was waiting <laughs> and, and yeah. Just waiting. Yeah, it's really. Um, and I've talked to some other folks, and then I want you to give me the, the, the synopsis of uh, he gets that for me, but I've talked to other historical fiction authors. I mean, not that that's what you do, but that you're returning to what you had done, who came up with some really interesting, they're like, I'm used to being able to go to the place where I'm going to go and sit in a place where I'm going to sit. 
and now I'm like on Google Maps and I'm like tracking down people in the town and calling them and asking them to like this. Like, what were some of the weirdest things that you did trying to recreate historical research from a den in New York? Sure. So, well, <laughs> I actually, one thing that we did that was that very cool was we wanted to see my parents last Christmas time. And so we quarantined at home for 10 days, like literally no one left the house. No one was allowed in, nothing. Um, and we then rented an RV and drove down to Florida, right? So that when like, I then, when we picked up the RV, they're like, oh, we'll give you a tour of how it works inside. I'm like, I can't go in there with you, <laughs> you know, stay back. And the manual. they're like, and, and PS, but we never figured out how to work the heat and the, we were freezing. <laughs> You know? So this was like the Gridwald family Florida exactly. trip. Yeah. But um, the book that I was working on, a, a portion of it takes place in Virginia. So we drove through Virginia and I was like, slow down, go, you know, and we, I got to, it was actually, it was helpful. Like I got to see the topography with my own eyes. Yeah. A little bit of that. And then the, the other main um, location in the book is Boston. And after we got, my husband and I got vaccinated, we took a trip up to Boston and we didn't, associate with anyone while we were there but we walked the streets and we went to all of the sites and I was actually able to go and see those places in person so, oh, that, so that's good like, that was very cool and um you know I was totally geeking out in front of like statues I'm like that's the guy like, yeah um I sent a, a picture of him to my family like group chat and I'm like who is that person what is she doing um but um and aside from that I really I found you know part of why I wanted to write this particular story is because there's not much out there about it and it at a time when this particular runaway slave was um he had a court case in Boston and it was a national sensation and it was everybody knew about it up and down the coast it was in all the newspapers it was a household name and now people are like who what so um I got very familiar with um there are these sites online where you can look at newspapers sort of it looks it it's like the microfiche that we used yeah. to do as kids in the library and you can like move around the whole page so I'm like printing document after document taping pages back together you know um there was a lot of that and um and also reading uh I want to say theses but I'm wondering if it's thesi um that had been written by people um in college and were in the libraries there that I was now able to access online. So it was all, you know, 98% of it was in front of my computer, but it's amazing what you can find. Yeah. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system. So wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. 
And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Hi, I'm Madigan from Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, a podcast that explores the world through a personal feminist perspective. Check out new episodes Mondays and Fridays for a wide variety of topics and news episodes. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Rage on. How much did your legal background help? Were you like into those kinds of documents? Yes, it actually helped a ton. It's funny, when I left the law and decided to write, I was like, I'm not going to be like a John Grisham. I'm not going to do those legal I'm done with this. Yeah, I'm out. I've escaped. Leave me alone. But um, so, you know, first first book, there's nothing with law. Uh, Second book, that's not a thing. I have my protagonist is a lawyer, but it's mainly like a foil that she hates her job. And that's it. Yeah, that is not a big part of the story. Um, (laughs) And then he gets that from me. There is there's legitimate custody issues and a novel legal question. And I found myself um, enjoying looking at it and playing with it and and analyzing it. And then with this next book, I, you know, about the runaway slave, I actually, you know, relied on court documents yeah, and yeah. statutes and, you know, yeah. really got deep into it. And I mean, I, and there's actually like a lot of scenes of courtroom drama and it was great. And I completely, you know, understood what I was doing in a yeah. way. And um, there's a lot of the scenes with the courtroom drama um, actually are real, taken from transcripts of the court case and it's the lawyers, um, you know, real arguments. But then there's other stuff that I added to, you know, hone in certain on certain points. And now when I'm reading drafts, I'm like, wait, did they say that or did I say that? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I feel very good about that. And I have to say, I'm also brainstorming my next book. And that one is like based on a Supreme Court case. So I guess, you know, we don't know ourselves as well as we think we do. Yeah, or... We do. And like, it's why there's the thing, right? Like, as soon as you say you're never going to do a thing, that's like, well, yeah, I know what you're going to do next. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'll never do that again. Like, I will yeah. bet yeah, that that is right. you that's trying to break good. out of a pattern. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But also, you did spend a lot of money getting that degree. So it is nice to also put some of that back to work that's after good. you left the work. Yes. Yes, that's very true. Yeah, and I, I actually, I just connected um, with someone who reached out to me because she does the, he gets that from me, centers on surrogacy. And oh. I, a woman who lives not far from me, who we know many people in common, reached out to me because she she specializes in surrogacy law. And she just sort of heard about my book and kind of wanted to connect. And talking to her, I sort of started to think like, wow, your job actually sounds really interesting. Um, and maybe this had I had I had the maturity to like wait it out and stay in law for longer, and I could have ended up in a place like where this woman is professionally. Maybe I would have liked law a little better. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, because we talked like, yeah, because you were at the you were at Boys and uh, Schiller, which we talked yeah. about last time because I knew David Boys back in the 
in the wired days and the post Microsoft Napster days. Yeah. Um, so what's the, so you've given me just a little bit of a taste. Like what's the, like, what's the elevator pitch for? He gets that for me. Although now I sort of with the title and the two things you said, I'm like, Oh, that's clever. <laughs> <laughs> um, the elevator pitch is that the book is about a young woman who serves as a surrogate mother only to discover 10 years after the fact that she accidentally gave away her own biological child. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> and that ties into a lot of stuff that's happening right now in the discussion yeah. of uh, at the Supreme Court. Yes. I mean, it's yes. different, but it's in that neighborhood of... Yeah, it's all fertility and body yeah. economy and reproductive rights. and Yeah. It sure who knew, is. Who knew you'd be topical? Yeah. Both, you're both legal and topical. Not yeah. at all what you plan on doing with the writing career. <laughs> um, well, you know, I, I um, before I wrote this book, I was sort of trying to figure out as I finished, um, that's not a thing. What's the next book going to be about? And I was like playing with a few different ideas and sort of writing two stories simultaneously, waiting to see which one would grab me. And then I was going to kind of run with that. And as I was procrastinating and, you know, People Magazine or some similar publication, I stumbled on this story of a, an American woman who served as a surrogate for a couple from China. And it was, you know, supposed to be the genetic, genetic material from the Chinese couple, but she was just going to carry yeah. baby, babies for them. They ended up, um, they put in uh, multiple embryos and she, they believed she was carrying twins. And when the babies were born, one came out looking like the Chinese parents and the other one came out appearing to be black, like the surrogate's husband. And still they sent both babies home with the Chinese couple because that was, you know, what they thought. They just thought it was like, you know, a little weird, but they, it nagged at everybody and they finally did some testing and it took about a month and they sorted everything out. But um, it got me to thinking, first of all, how is that possible? And second yeah. of all, um, what if everybody had been the same race? They never would have known. Yeah, so, you know, unless they did some testing or whatever. So that was like the impetus behind the book. And, you know, the first thing I did, I was on Google and I was like, wait, women who are pregnant can get pregnant again. And yes, they can. It's just so incredibly rare that uh, nobody bothers to mention it in ninth grade biology or health or whatever, wherever you wish yeah. to learn it. <laughs> I feel like uh, every time you go to the doctor, that should be mentioned. Nice. <laughs> that, that feels like not a not a soup question. Like that's a fairly important yeah. thing. I actually think that a lot of fraternal twins are conceived at different times, and that you know mm. it explains you know why the two babies will be different sizes, and you know there's just not really a way to prove it, and um, and also it doesn't really matter if they're yeah. ultimately the same size. So yeah. that, you know, but there is conjecture. Yeah, this is one of those things. Yeah, you'd never get IRB approval for any of those studies. Right. Um, it's it, That's also fascinating. Like one of the, just, my friend uh, Elizabeth uh, Spires just wrote a piece um, uh, that had sparked a lot of discussions. She's an adoptee and she was a founding editor at Gawker and wrote this piece about adoption and about the trauma of adoption. She's adopted and just sort of about, sort of in response to that. And it just, it got me thinking again about uh, parentage, right? And I can't, I'm going to mess this up because it's been years, but there's something like some percentage that is above 1% of people who think that they know who their parents are, don't know who their parents are, oh. but, we, but we just don't do genetic testing. Yes. But as it turns out, humans may not necessarily be as monogamous as we think. And so this whole sort of construct of parenthood, community, all of those things is just the thing that we all sort of agree upon. Right. We just accept it. Yeah. And like, go forward. Cause it's like, I feel like this is going to, 
So I, that's really fascinating that that sort of, I suspect that writing that book was, um, I bet the research was fascinating. It absolutely was. <laughs> Since the book has been out, I'm in a, a number of groups on Facebook for, you know, readers and I'm at different times trying to engage people. And, and one of the questions I asked in one of these groups was, you know, have you ever done a commercial DNA test and, and did you discover anything surprising? <laughs> I'm, when I tell you the response after response after response of shocking, you know, I discovered my uncle was my father or yeah. my brother was my uncle, yeah. but, you know, on and on. And that's just in this one little Facebook group with like a couple thousand members, you know, so it really tells you, you know, how much there is out there. Yeah. Um, I personally have not done a DNA test because the more I researched the book, the less enthused I was about, you know, opening that Pandora's box. Yeah. You got a good, happy life, man. Like yeah, it's all good. roll with that. Like everybody's good. Like, yeah. It, I, my favorite stories are always like for Christmas, we got mom and dad a genetic test to know their history. And it's like, three of the children are not dads. <laughs> it just, I mean, it is just one of those crazy, but again, like it sort of gets back to the pandemic thing weirdly, which is we have this construct that we believe society is a thing. And then like the pandemic hits and we're like, Oh shit, everybody bought all the toilet paper. Like nobody's watching out for anybody. And when the genetic test came out, people were like really excited at first. And the more you get into it, you're like, I'm not sure this is actually really in the most healthy thing for everybody to do. Not that I think that you should be lying to your family and stuff, but things happen. The world is a complicated place. Yes, I agree. I do. <laughs> I agree. And I actually, I have an author friend who, who published a book right around the same time that this book came out. And we, so we did a few events together and she's a former criminal defense attorney. And she's has said at like some of these events, you know, that her advice also, there's no reason to put your genetic information out there. Yeah. So, yeah, nothing. I mean, we're happy that the BTK killer got caught because of that stuff, but you know, that's not the norm. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So uh, he gets that from me. Now this story, that that title now takes on like five different things just in this conversation. You, it's out now. It is out now. It came out in September. That's amazing. Like, are you gonna? Did you get to do anything this time? I did, and it was so fabulous. Um, it was, you know, especially poignant because it was sort of every like after having done nothing when the last book came out and then also having done nothing just, you know, in the time in between, right. um, <laughs> I was able to do multiple outdoor events. You know, oh, um, I did something at the Rye Library in New York. I did, um, you know, uh, there's a bookstore in Scarsdale Village that just, um, you know, which is my town, which has a, um, the town put up a tent for, you know, anyone who's going to be eating outside and there's some picnic tables. So we were able to use the outdoor tent for an event. That's and, great. Um, I, I've had a number of them and it's it's been so nice to see people and and to connect in person with leaders. Yeah. Um, and and then we I did I have done some Zoom events also, which has been cool because now everybody does understand for the most part how Zoom works. Yeah. And um and so you know I I was able to do like hundred person events. Yeah. Zoom. And so it's it's been really I I've been enjoying it. I, I went out, I, I went as far as Cherry Hill, New Jersey, which is like a two hour drive for me Yeah. Um, for an in-person event. I thought when I was initially writing the book that I would get to go, you know, like all over. Um, and I actually, part of the book is set in Arizona and I was super excited that I was going to be going to Sedona or Phoenix, but it didn't, didn't pan out. Later. Um, yes. Yeah. You just have to set the, ne the next, next one back out yeah. there. Yeah. 
exactly. Well, I'm excited that you got to do something. I, I thoroughly enjoyed this. Uh, I had a good time for those that can't see it's that's not a thing which was the last book um, and I'm really intrigued by he gets that for me now because uh, this I mean it sounds like a, it is, sounds like it's a different vein than the last book it's a little more serious yeah that sounds a little, yeah if it's yeah, it doesn't sound rom-commy. No, it, <laughs> yeah. it sort of is. There, there is an, there is like a little bit of like a rom-com vibe, even though the questions asked are more difficult. Yeah. Well, it is lovely to talk to you. Uh, I hope everything works out for your son. I hope that he graduates and all that works out. Thank you so much. Um, and I hope when the next one comes out, you get to do way more outdoor stuff. Thank you. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys have a great uh, December and holiday season, yeah. and I hope I can talk to you again when the next one comes out. All right, thank you so much for having me on. Well, there you have it. That was Jacqueline Friedland, whose book, He Gets That From Me, is out right now. Uh, she is lovely and charming. I enjoyed this conversation as much as I enjoyed the last one. Um, she's such a fascinating life. I know we didn't, this is the short form, but if you're really interested, I'll link to the one we did earlier when uh, That's Not a Thing came out. Uh, she's great. She's great. Listen to them both and buy both the books. That's my advice. Uh, before we get out of here, just a couple of reminders. If you like what you heard today, there's those two favors we talked about at the top of the show. Leave us a review either on uh, Apple Podcasts or over at the Facebook page. Tell your friends about us. While you're at it, don't forget to check out all the other programs on the Solid Listen Podcast Network, including the flagship Mother May I Sleep with Podcast with hosts, and our Solid Listen podcast queen, Molly MacLear. I'm telling you, the holiday season, if you haven't checked it out, it's the time to check it out. And if you have checked it out, you know the holiday season is the time to check it out. Uh, don't forget the video podcasts come out on Mondays and Fridays on the Solid Listen Network YouTube channel. You can also catch them at the Writer's Jam. And you can listen to the audio version wherever you listen to the Downtown Writer's Jam. That program comes out every Wednesday. The surest way not to miss anything we do here in the bunker, get yourself subscribed. And remember, you can always catch us on Twitter and Instagram at The Writer's Jam. Until the next time, I will see you around the internet. And Die Hard is a Christmas movie. What does feminism mean to you? During Women's History Month, come explore feminism and how it's playing out in real life with season two of Thread the Needle, a monthly podcast. I'm your host, Donna Schill. I use my background in journalism and draw on women's life experiences to add to the conversation on topics that matter to fellow feminists like you. Now in its second season, listen to new episodes each month as we explore finding yourself through divorce, battling call-out culture, questioning our ideas about masculinity, and discovering why girls' confidence plummets in their preteens. Guests include Stephanie Kuntz, historian and author of Marriage, a History, April White, author of Divorce Colony, and Loretta Ross, professor on white supremacy and call-out culture at Smith College. Listen to Thread the Needle on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.